Our Heavenly Father, we come now to your word, and we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would grant us grace to understand your word, that you would give me the grace I need to preach your word with the, um, the care that it deserves. Grant us grace, O Lord, help us to forget the troubles of last week and the potential troubles of coming week. And help us to focus entirely upon you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this passage. We're done with the household code. In Ephesians 6, a very famous passage, dealing with spiritual warfare, fighting the devil, and putting on the full armor of God. Now, when we think about our individual lives, our lives as families, uh, indeed our life as a church, as a community of faith, uh, a church, a particular church is like a brick, a singular brick in the castle of Jesus Christ, in the fortress of Christ's kingdom. When we think about our lives and our life as a community of faith, they're based upon decisions. We have to make elementary decisions over and over and over again. In reality, if you think about it, your life and my life is one decision after decision after decision. Now, certainly some decisions are much more important than others. You might not have given really much thought to exactly what you wore this morning. You just grabbed something that you knew was going to match or that was going to keep you warm. It's not very consequential. You're not going to be barred from paradise if you wear a leather coat as opposed to a polyester one. That's really not that big of a deal if you go to choose a career or a spouse or or a faith statement. You go to choose a religion. That's a very important decision. Much more important whether should I part my hair on the right or part my hair on the left, for those of you who actually have hair. Um, And we have to decide at each decision, particularly the big ones, Are we going to base those decisions upon thoughts and feelings that are based upon the value system of the world, the value system of the evil one? Or are we going to base those decisions based upon the value system that the Bible makes very, very clear to us? Common sense would tell us that the second choice is the best way to go. But when we look at our lives, we realize that our decisions are corrupt. They're kind of mixed up a little bit with worldly values and, and the values of the Bible. We know that we should live by faith, not by, we should walk by faith, not by sight. But yet it's very hard for us as human beings to always walk by faith. We see things and we worry. We look at the world and we see bombs going off all over the place and we worry. And when we think of Peter seeing Jesus come walking on the Sea of Galilee, do you remember what Peter said? He said, Lord, if it's you, beckon unto me and I shall come out to you. And and he did. Peter got on the water and walked by faith. But then what does the text tell us? He looked around. What did he see? The storm, the lightning, the wind. And what happened? He began to sink because he took his eyes off the Lord. He began to walk by sight rather than by faith. And he was literally walking at that point. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord grabs Peter, pulls him on the boat and says, you have little faith. Where's your faith? Christ is always telling the disciples, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Now we have to have faith that God will guide us to make the proper decisions. 
And that passage that we just read from Romans 8, where the Spirit prays for us, is a great and powerful comfort for us. Because our decisions, if they're going to be wise decisions, have got to be bathed in prayer. They have got to be bathed in prayer. And very often when we go to God to pray, we simply don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. Our minds wander. Then our hearts grow afraid because we think, I should be praying. I should know what to say, but I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? Lord, save me. Well, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit never makes a bad decision. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf according to the mind and will of God. And we know that Christ himself, according to the book of Hebrews, according to the Gospel of John, later in the Gospel of John, that Christ himself, as our great high priest, ever lives to intercede for us. So this is a great call to prayer. We have to decide to pray. And we have to decide to make our decisions be bathed in prayer. Now, one of the things that we really have to make a decision upon is whether or not we want to live a conscious life a focused life, or if we want to live on what I call spiritual cruise control, spiritual automatic pilot. It's very easy to live on automatic pilot. It's very easy to live on cruise control, and we all do it all the time. You know you're on spirit, and I'm talking about spiritual cruise control. You know you're on spiritual cruise control or automatic pilot when you've gone through the whole day, and at the end of the day you realize, wow, that day just zipped by. I didn't pray. I didn't think about God. I didn't listen to any, any preachers on the radio. I didn't listen to any Christian music. I, I didn't read the Bible. But most of all, I didn't pray. I didn't think about God. I just went about my business just like a non-believer. It's very easy for Christians to do that. We have to decide. You have to decide. I have to decide every day, almost every moment of every day, are we going to live consciously as Christians? Or unconsciously as people on spiritual automatic pilot on cruise control now the problem with living on cruise control is you can fall asleep have you ever used cruise control on a long trip it's a very helpful thing when you're on the highway for a long time what's the danger of it you stop paying attention you stop paying attention you, maybe you set it for, possibly, 10, 15 miles over the speed limit. It's a distinct possibility. Speed limit's 60, so you, know, you kick it up to 67 or so, hit the cruise control. <clears throat> You're cruising along, you don't think about it. Well, the state trooper realizes it. You might be on cruise control, but his radar doesn't care if you're on cruise control. And he then reminds you. And that state trooper pulls into the lane behind you. You're not on cruise control anymore. You're conscious of what's going on. And you realize, okay, time to hit the brakes. Cruise control will go off. And then I'm going to pull off to the right. And I'm going to wait for him or her to tell me exactly what to do. An authority figure like that has a way of heightening your senses, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We're not criminals, right? We're not. But if you realize that the police are you know, right up on you, do you pay more attention to your speed? 
If you've been driving just with your thumb down at the bottom of the wheel, it's very likely that you might actually put your hands fully on the wheel. You might take a look at the speedometer just to make sure that you're not, nobody wants to get a ticket. Nobody wants to get points on their license. You make sure that you're obeying the law. You're living consciously. When we think about this world and the war zones that are in this world, if we were Christians in Syria right now, we would have to live very consciously. Because you never know when the bombs are going to drop. You never know when the guns are going to fire. No matter where you go, if you're in a war zone, you have to be awake. You have to be paying attention. Particularly if you're a civilian and you're fairly defenseless and the opponent of your government or whatever is in the sky or has enormous tanks. My friends, what you have to understand is that you live in a war zone. Your family lives in a war zone. Your marriage exists in a war zone. Your children are being reared and growing up in a war zone. Not a physical war zone, because where we live is very safe. We live in a spiritual war zone. And the difference in this war is that there's never a ceasefire. There's never a peace treaty. Because the war is between the evil one and God, and they never, ever cease fighting. Now, the beauty of this war is it's not fair. It's not fair. Satan is not equal to God. Not even close. He thinks he's equal to God. He wants to be equal to God. And in those moments of clarity that he must have when he realizes he's not, he gets enraged and he attacks God's people. And that's what this passage in the book of Ephesians is all about. It's teaching us to live consciously, to be spiritual warriors, to stand firm as Christians. And the problem in our modern world is we just simply have, we have forgotten that. We've forgotten that because we have so many things about us that seem to take our attention away. Do you want to hold your ground against the devil or do you want him to be able to just not take over your life, but have an extreme influence on your life. What, what do you want to decide? What do you want for your children? Do you want the world and its values, its poor values that value anything that's anti-Christian? Horrific entertainments, leisure, free time, all this stuff. Do we want our children to be reared in that milieu or do we want them to be bathed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We need to make sure that our children are being raised to be aware that the war is in the heavenlies. That the war is not fought with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. We have to make them aware of this. But first... We have to be aware. We have to be aware, and we have to be showing them how to do it. Now, when Paul goes into this section, it might appear that he's jumping again. He was just talking about slaves and servants and mothers and fathers and children. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to zip into the devil and fighting with spiritual armor. It seems as if it's a really big jump, but it's really not. So I'd like you to get out your Bibles. Let me just go through a couple passages from the book of Ephesians and show you that he's he's been leading up to this all the way. 
Turn all the way back to chapter 2. We're in chapter 6. Turn all the way back to chapter 2, just for a minute. I'll read the first two verses. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Here's the punch. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Early on, way over here in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, in the beginning part of the epistle, Paul is laying the groundwork for what is going to come. This theme of fighting the evil one, this reveals to us that God has divided humanity into two parts. Those who side with the devil and those who side with God. It really comes down to that. And what's interesting about this is that Now, if you were actually in a physical war and you were under fire and you knew you were going to lose, and let's just pretend that the the opponent spoke English as well. We're fighting the British. And you switched uniforms. Most of us here could pass as as an Englishman. We can speak English, probably do a poor accent. Put on the uniform and they'll stop shooting at you, right? Here's the catch. In this spiritual war, when we sin, when, when we go off course, when we start following the ways of the world, we are actually thinking that we're putting on the enemy's uniform. And we are. Here's the catch, though. He doesn't stop shooting at you. You've crossed over onto his side. In a reality, you're a traitor at that point. You've put on the false colors of the evil one, but he, doesn't, he realizes you're not on his side. He's got you where he wants you, and now he's going to shoot at you as if you're tuna in a barrel. That's what happens when we sin, when we go on spiritual automatic pilot. Now Paul is telling us we don't walk that way anymore, because that spirit works in the sons of disobedience. We are sons and daughters of obedience. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Let me ask you this. If you're going to fight the devil, do you think that the power and influence and work of the Holy Spirit is a necessary component to victory? Yes. That's the Holy Spirit's job, as it were, to empower us, to give us enlightenment, to make us aware of things, to show us the truth of the Bible, to teach us how to pray. We need the Spirit's power. And Paul here is telling us that he's praying for the Ephesians that the Spirit will work in their inner man. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul likes this, um, this metaphor of walking, a spiritual walk. And the saints of old would say, how's your walk doing? How's your walk with the Lord? You don't hear that language too much anymore. The saints of bygone generations would say, that. how's your walk with the Lord? When is the last time someone asked you that? Besides your pastor. And even if they don't use that language, when was the last time anybody asked you, how is your relationship with the Lord going? You see, that's what we're supposed to be doing for each other. How work is going is one thing. How school is going is another. How the teams are doing is another. But how is your walk with the Lord? Is anything more important than that? 
No. Verse 11 and 14. In this passage, I'm not going to read it, Paul talks about the, the, the speaking gifts. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They're given to the church for one specific reason. So that the people of God would become mature. Prophets and evangelists, apostles, pastors and teachers, they're not here for entertainment. Now, apostles aren't here anymore, neither are prophets. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers are still here. Those gifts are still in use. They're still, still alive by the power of the Spirit. There's no need for apostles anymore. There's no need for prophets. Muhammad is not the final prophet. Jesus Christ is the prophet. The apostles were prophets. It's over. It's done. We have the written word. We need nothing else. But what's the purpose of all those ministries? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see this language? Trickery of men. We know that the men are really just pawns of the evil one. And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting immediately makes you think of the serpent in the garden. He's crafty, he's deceitful, and this is what he wants us to do. And Paul tells us in verse 17 that we should no longer walk, again walking, as the rest of the Gentiles walk, how they walk in the futility of their minds. This describes those who are on spiritual cruise control. They're oblivious to the spiritual war. They're oblivious to heaven and hell. They're oblivious to the reality that this life is short, that this life will end, and that then comes judgment. It's nothing any of us like to think about. Particularly as the years go by and we realize that if, if all things go according to the time clock, that the day is, is growing closer for each of us. But that is the reality. And that reality should, frankly, sober us up spiritually. Should make us more aware that we're living constantly in the presence of God, but a day will come when we will see Him and we will be on our own. Children, your parents won't be there to answer for you. Session won't be there to help you. You'll be there alone. I'll be there alone. And to those who much is given shall much be required. If you're in a position of leadership in this church, if you've been given uh, insight into the Bible, you will be held to a higher standard. And then in verses 26 and 27, he really gets revved up in chapter 4. Tells us to put away lying. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, in verse 27, nor give place to the devil. You see, this theme of spiritual battle is, is running throughout the text, even if it's not explicitly named like that. Give no place to the devil. Let me ask you this. This past week, did you give any place to the devil? You did. So did I. That's why we needed to confess our sins. That's why we need to be assured that we're forgiven of our sins. Because we give place to the devil. Now just think about it for a moment. Is that insane? I mean, if the evil one showed you himself in all his hideousness, in all his 
disgusting horror. Would you ever listen to anything the guy said? No. See, the evil one knows that. So he uses cunning craftiness, trickery, plotting, deceit, scheming. He mixes the truth with a little bit of lie. He gives, so to speak, a spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down. Well, in Satan's world, a pound of sugar might be necessary to get even a few drops of poison into you. He'll feed you all the sugar you want as long as there's a little bit of poison. You don't even taste it. won't smell it. Before you know it, it's built up in your system. Now in chapter 3, he continues. Verses 3 and 5, uh, chapter 5 rather. This is where Paul begins to give a list of the sins that we're not to do. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Don't even name these things. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, and this is scary, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These are not my words. These are the words of the living God as given to Paul. This describes devilish, sinful behavior. And then verses 15 through 18. See then that you walk again. Walk, walk. See that you walk circumspectly. That means with care. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with with the spirit. This is, this is spiritual warfare. We live in evil days just as the Ephesians did. And listen to me carefully. Um, if you get drunk, you're an easy target. Spider web. If you get drunk, you're an easy target. You get high, you're an easy target. You do both at the same time, you're a doubly easy target. I've told you this, kids. I'm going to tell you again. Nothing good happens in a nightclub. Nothing. A nightclub is a place that you pay to get into. And then you have to keep paying. And you stand around and you drink alcohol. That's what you do. Big waste of money. Nothing good ever happens in those places. They don't. Drugs, alcohol... And the things that follow in their train make us not only go on spiritual automatic pilot, they make us unconscious to the power of the Spirit. Because Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, and that includes beer, that includes spirits, that includes you know, liqueurs, anything. Do not be drunk. I have to say, you can partake, but you cannot get drunk. A glass of wine with dinner is perfectly acceptable. Five, six glasses on an empty stomach? Probably not. A beer after a long day's work in the sun? That's one thing. Eight or nine of them? Just while you're watching a game? Definitely not. Nothing good happens with these things. 
Because you see, when you become under the influence of that, you're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why they call it spirits. You think that's an accident? It's because the ancients understood that when you drink this stuff, you become almost possessed. And if you've ever known someone with a very serious alcohol or drug problem, that's what they are. They become possessed when they're on these things. And you can't talk reason with them. Even if they don't have a problem, they've only indulged once. It's very difficult to talk to them. That's why Paul jumps in here. Finally, my brethren, he's giving us the knockout punch. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Please notice Paul doesn't just say be strong. You know, when we go through hard times, or our children go through hard times, or our friends go through hard times, what do we say? Particularly us men folk. Be strong. Buck up. You'll get through this. Grit your teeth and bear it. That's not necessarily bad advice. It's just incomplete. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. What Paul is getting at here is in this spiritual war, our resources are not enough. This is a spiritual war. We cannot see the enemy. He's invisible. He's plotting. He's scheming. And he's been at this a lot longer than we have. He's been at this a lot longer than we have. He's a veteran at this. He's the author of confusion. He's the author of sin and evil. We're noobs in this spiritual warfare, no matter how old we are. We're noobs. We're newbies. Brand new rookies in this. Let us not forget that our opponent has been at this for millennia. He was there with Adam. He was there with Eve. He was there with David. He was there with Abraham. He was there with Moses. He was there with Jesus Christ. And Christ was the only one who didn't bend. That's why we need him as a savior. Moses bent. Moses broke. Abraham bent. He broke. David, mamma mia, he broke. Christ never broke. Never. Not even bent. That's why we need him. Because we bend very easily. And I know that many of us have been broken by sin. But that's what the gospel is all about. Broken people being put back together by the power of the living God. And then they regain the strength to fight be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's coming to the apex of his argument and he calls them brothers. He's understanding that he is in this with them as well. Paul bent. Paul broke. Christ didn't. Timothy bent. Timothy broke. Christ didn't. You bend. I break. You break. I bend. Christ didn't. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not just power, not just might, but in the power of His might. This is talking about God's glory, His majesty, His honor, His his awe-inspiring power, which is available to all of us. You do understand that, right? That the Holy Spirit exists in all Christians equally. The difference is that some people access His power more readily. Because they have fine-tuned their senses to discern between good and evil. They have fine-tuned their senses to discern between this life and the next. They've, They've honed their senses. 
to realize that the pleasures of this world are very, very fleeting. Very fleeting. But the rewards of eternity are eternal. And they live with eternity in mind and not today. They're planning. Wise people in this world plan for the future, right? We hear this all the time. Plan for your retirement. Plan for your retirement. Plan for your retirement. Think about your career. Think about your future. That's great advice. Anybody not want to hear that advice? Do we tell our children, just live for today? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That is not the advice we give them. We tell them, you save your money. You save your money, you save some more. You don't play, you study. You don't play, you study. And study some more. And then you can play, maybe. Maybe. Why? Because life is serious. Life is serious and life is short. And the thing that we need to be studying is how to be effective spiritual warriors. And this is how we do it. By realizing that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. By realizing that we're warring against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of weakness in the heavenly places. The enemy is invisible, but he's not invincible. He's not invincible because he's already been defeated. Christ already defeated the evil one. That's why the evil one is so angry and mad. The book of Revelation makes this very clear. In Revelation 12, he's been cast down to earth, and now he's upset and he makes war against us, and he'll make war against us until doomsday, until the day of judgment. He's never going to stop. It may appear that there's a ceasefire, but that is one of his tricks. It may appear that there's a ceasefire, but that's when we say, oh, ceasefire, I'm going to put my spiritual armor down just for a moment. Go for a swim. Spiritual bombs may be not dropping out of the air, but when we take off our armor, we realize, oh, the armor division has got us in a pincer attack. Or vice versa. Spiritual snipers use any analogy you want from warfare. The evil one has all of the tricks up his sleeve. And that's exactly what they are. They are tricks. That's why Paul tells us, take up the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I, I encourage you to stand. Stand your ground. But you cannot do it on your own. You can't even do it with my help. You can't do it with your wife's help. You can't do it with your parents' help. We're here to help each other, but help ultimately comes from God. To be strong in the power of His might. And notice in verse 11, it's the wiles of the devil. And this language of being wily, like wily coyote, wiles. When you say someone's using wiles, they're trying to beguile people. They're trying to trick you. There's not a direct attack, it's indirect. Just like Satan said in the garden. Has God really said, and we hear that too. Did God really say you're going to be judged? For every careless word you speak. Did God really say that eternity is forever? Did God really say you're not going to get a second chance after you die? Yes, he did. He did. Did God really say that Christ is the only way to salvation? Yes, he did. Don't listen to the evil one. Listen to God. Listen to what he has told you in the word and stand firm against the wiles of the evil one. That is our call today.
Would you pray with me? Lord, this is difficult for us to do. And you know that. We ask that you would give us the grace we need to be wise enough to put on the whole armor of God and help us to stand firm in your cause. In your son's holy name, amen.